Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. So good to be with you. You are beloved family. And you know what I'm thinking? Maybe there's one of you out there, maybe two, who say, nah, I'm not beloved. I'm not beloved. All right, it's a beloved family, but I'm not beloved. Well, you are. How do I know that? Because one unbeloved link in the chain spoils the whole chain. And so in order for you to be a beloved family, Every link needs to be beloved. And so I don't care what you feel like. You are beloved. Take that. Take that. Tough. You are beloved. God loves you. And he doesn't love you because you are perfect, because you are without sin. He doesn't love you for that reason. He loves you because he's a God of love. And if you get in his way, you get loved. That's it. You got you to gotta handle that. That's it. So you are loved. But I'm not worthy of love. Neither am I. Who is? But you are loved because you are created by love and for love. And so you are God's beloved. Now, you may not like him. You may hate him. You may turn from him. You may not know him. All of that. But it doesn't matter. You are beloved. A little baby born from its mother's womb doesn't know a lot yet. But that little baby is loved because it is the precious, um, um, oh, what, what am I saying, precious um, life from that mother. And that baby is loved. Now, the baby probably knows it by the time he or she is born because um, that baby's been loved for nine months or however long in the mother's womb. So the baby probably feels that love. That's why when a baby's in your womb, you should talk to that little baby. You should sing to that baby. You should pre play music. Get get the little CD Einstein for babies. Um, uh, really beautiful for children to go up with beautiful music. Not harsh music, but classical, beautiful music. Gregorian chant. Teach your children that while they're in the mother's womb. It's really, really, really wonderful. So, um, a blessed, what are we, today is Tuesday of the third week of Lent, and um, I pray that your Lent is going well, and I pray that however your Lent has been, whether it's going well, uh, that we will not be tempted to pride, because if it's going well, it's by the grace of God, and if we're tempted to pride, then he will be, re he will be faithful and make us fail there. You say, God makes us fail? He certainly does so that we know how much we need him and that apart from him we can do nothing. Um, and again, if you fail 20 times, try again so that you can fail 21 times. Don't ever give up. That's the only real failure is to give up. Outside of that, if you keep trying, there's no failure. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about perfection. Just worry about keep, don't worry, but keep striving. Keep striving. That's all you need to do is to keep striving. 
I think how how if you ever learned to ride a bike, how did you learn to ride a bike? And if you got up and rode for the first time, you are within the small percentage. Most of us fell, bruised our knees, came home crying umpteen times before we got on there and rode. It's the way it's the way of spiritual life too. We we fall, we get up and we grow. And we fall, we get up and we grow till we've got it by the grace of God, and then we try something else that we can fail in for a while. (laughs) Never stop trying. Never stop believing that God loves you and that his love does not uh, increase or decrease based on your performance. Absolutely not. King David, the psalm says, was a man after God's own heart, and he is the one who committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he counted, had a census counted, which God was very unhappy with, caused great plagues. And he committed murder by having Bathsheba's husband killed deliberately. He did all those awful, mortal sins. And yet, he was a man after God's heart. Why? How come? Because he repented. How do we know that? Because he wrote Psalm 51, Created me a clean heart, O God. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. You see, because he repented, because he never stopped believing in God, even though he went astray big time. So never, ever lose hope, never fear, and trust God. If your marriage is in bad shape and you don't know how to fix it, don't worry about fixing it. Just come to God and draw near to him and you live a holy life. Be the most holy woman, wife, mother you can be. And don't tell anybody, don't worry about what your husband does. Let God draw him by your love, by your holiness. Don't worry about it. Same thing, husband. You be the best husband, not lording it over your wife the best husband, heroic leader, gentle heroic leader, an example and husband and father you could be. Your family will be changed. I promise you that. And just put no judgment on them. Put no demands on them. Just be who God has called you to be. And your family will change. And you won't believe the wife that you have. Same thing, wives. You become the best wife and mother you could be. Uh, by God's grace, don't worry about what your husband keeps doing or fails to do. Don't worry about anything. Don't be controlling. Just you live your vocation, and you will see the knight in shining army, armor that God has given you as a husband. Because if you live your vocation, you will free him to live his and desire to live his. So those are simple statements, not always so simply done. But that's just to let you know that you're beloved and nothing with God is impossible. Absolutely nothing. We are going to continue on the Lenten sermon of temptation. (laughs) Which one of us is not tempted? All of us is tempted, which is why for us our Lord was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness in reparation for Israel's 40 years that they spent in the wilderness for their disobedience and in reparation for all the disobedience before then. And he has given us the inestimable, I never say that right, inestimable, 
privilege of accompanying him in the wilderness for these 40 days of fasting, not of completely doing without food as he did, but fasting on one meal a day. Fasting. That's really not fasting a meal a day, but it, it's, it's partial fasting. Um, and maybe fasting from other things, fasting from anger and from gossip and from everything that displeases God and that makes us ugly inside. So we have to fast from those things. I'm going to pick up from where we left off yesterday in the... Um, uh, uh, in the uh, St. Francis de Sales sermon on temptation for Lent, he says, To whom do you wish, I pray, that the devil should present his temptation, if not to those who despise them? How do you like that? Uh, I despise temptations. I despise them. I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to struggle against them. I don't want to fail. I don't like them. So who is he going to bring him against? He's going to bring him against us who love God and who want to strive to be holy. Sinners tempt themselves. The, uh-oh. Sinners tempt themselves. The devil already regards them as his own. They are his confederates because they do not reject his success, suggestions. You think of that? When you give in to temptation... It's not sin to be tempted. That's not sin. But to give into it is, te- is, is sin. And the devil already regards us as his own. If we give into his suggestions, he's one. We're his. On the contrary, they seek them and temptation resides in them. The devil does not work much to set his snares on the secular world, but rather in retired places where he expects a great gain in bringing about the downfall of souls who are secluded there, serving the divine majesty more perfectly. St. Thomas used to marvel greatly at how the greatest sinners went out into the streets laughing and joyful as though their sins did not weigh on their consciences. And who would not be astonished at seeing a soul not in God's grace making merry? Oh, how vain are their joys! And how false their gaiety! For they have gone after anguish and eternal regrets. Let us leave them, I pray you, and return to the fear of the slothful. The fear of the slothful, beloved. Is that us? Listen, here's a description of the slothful. They are always lamenting, and why? Why, you ask? Alas, alas, we must work, and yet I thought that it would be enough to embark on God's way and set in his service to find rest. I don't want to work. I just want to kind of get on the path, and then I'll be okay. No, 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 no. Then you'll be attacked even more. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. But God's grace is sufficient for us. There's the music for our first break, beloved. And after the second break, we will take your calls and your texts and your emails. I'll give you the toll-free number ahead of time. It's one 5483 You may email also at mother at We'll be right back. 
We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, and we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustained Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustained life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, and we are going to continue with, um, I almost went to our calls and emails. I love that time. But we'll just have a few more minutes right after the next break. We'll do that. And for now, we're reading about those whom the devil tempts. Listen, if we're not interested uh, in God, we're not going to be tempted because it's just our normal way. Um, uh, we're already under his mantle, so to speak. Um, but St. Francis de Sales says, let us leave them, I pray you, and return to the fear of the slothful. Listen to that, the fear of the slothful. You know, many priests um, comment on how few people uh, confess the sin of sloth. It's, it's one of the great sins. Um, one of the sins the devil hates, I mean, God hates, excuse me, yes, God hates slothfulness. And um, St. Francis says, they are always lamenting, and why? Why, you ask? Quote, alas, we must work, and yet I thought that it would be enough to embark on God's way and in his service to find rest, end quote. St. <laughs> Francis says, but do you not know that sloth and idleness made poor David perish in temptation? You perhaps would wish to be among those garrison soldiers who have everything they wish in a good town. They are merry. They are masters of their host's home. They sleep in his bed and live well. Nevertheless, they are called soldiers, feigning to be valiant and courageous while they go neither to battle nor to war. But our Lord does not want this kind of warrior in his army. He wants combatants and conquerors, not sluggards and cowards. He chose to be tempted. He chose to be tempted and himself attacked in order to give us an example. And I'm going to add to St. Francis's words, not only to give us an example. He did that um, in payment for our sins, but also to give his whole life was an example for us. 
St. Francis de Sales says, Ah, fear nothing, I pray you, since you are encompassed with the armor of truth and faith. Rise from your bed, indolent one, for it is time. And do not be frightened by the day's work, for it is natural that the night is given for rest and the day following for work. Rise for mercy's sake from your cowardice and keep clearly before your mind this infallible truth. All must be tempted. All must keep ready for combat in order to win the victory. Since temptation has a remarkable power over us, when it finds us idle, let us work and not grow weary, for we do not wish to lose the eternal rest which has been prepared for us as reward for our labors. Let us trust in God who is our Father Almighty. By virtue of this fact, all things will be rendered easy, although at first they may frighten us a little. The second terror of the night, according to St. Bernard, is that experienced by children. As you are aware, children are very much afraid when they are out of their mother's arms. If they see a barking dog, they suddenly begin to cry and will not stop until they are again um, with their mama. In her arms, they feel secure. They feel that nothing can harm them, provided they are holding her hand. Ah, then, the psalmist says, why do you fear? You who are encompassed with truth and armed with the strong shield of faith, which teaches truth and armed with the... Um, I'm sorry, armed with the strong shield of faith, which teaches you that God is your Father Almighty. Hold his hand and do not be frightened, for he will save you and protect you against all your enemies. Consider how St. Peter, after he made that generous act of throwing himself into the sea and began walking on the water in order more quickly to reach our divine Savior, who had called to him, suddenly began to fear, and at the same time to seek, sink down, and cried out, Lord, save me. And at once his good master stretched out his hand and took hold of him, and saving him from, um, thus saving him from drowning. Let us do the same, my dear friends. If we feel that we lack courage, let us cry out in a loud voice of full of confidence, Lord, save me. Let us not doubt that God will strengthen us and prevent us from perishing. There are some who, feigning courage, go someplace alone at night. When they hear a little stone fall from the ceiling or just hear a mouse running, they cry out, Oh, my God! We say to them, What has happened? I heard something. What? I do not know. <laughs> we meet others who, when they go into the fields and from a distance see the shadow of trees, are very much frightened indeed, believing that it is someone waiting for them. Such great chimeras and childishness. Often persons who have just come from God's service 
are like these people. They affect fearlessness and seem never to find enough on the crucifix. Nothing can satisfy them. They think of nothing but living always in tranquil rest. Nothing can overcome their courage and generosity. This is what happened to poor St. Peter. But um, being but a mere child in the spiritual life, he made this act of generosity, of which I just now spoke, he made still another later on, and it cost him dearly. For when our Lord announced to his apostles how he was to suffer death, Peter, quick to speak out faint-hearted and cowardly in acting, boasted, for my part, I will never abandon you. And our Lord went on, I shall be scourged. And I too, for love of thee, Peter would say, I shall be crowned with thorns. And I as well, Peter would say. In short, he would yield in nothing to his good master. The more our Lord expounded on the greatness of his afflictions, the more did St. Peter passionately insist that he would do as much. But how well he realized how completely he had been deceived when he found himself at the time of his Savior's passion so faint-hearted and timid in, his, in the execution of his promises. It would have been much better for poor St. Peter to keep humble, relying on the power of our Lord, then to trust vainly, then to trust vainly in the fervor which he felt at the time. Oh, can we not relate to Peter? I am Spartacus. I will do this. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't leave our Lord. I wouldn't deny him. I wouldn't have eaten the apple in the garden. Uh-uh. Be careful. Be careful. Apostle Paul said, be careful when you think you stand, lest you fall. St. Francis de Sales says, thus it happens to those young souls who testify to so much ardor in their conversion. While these first sentiments of devotion last, they do wonders. It seems that in the way of perfection, nothing is too difficult for them. Nothing can lessen their courage. They greatly desire to be mortified, to be tested, in order to show their generosity and the fire which burns in their breast. This is all true. But just wait a little. For if they hear a mouse, by which I mean if the consolation and the sentiments of devotion which they have had until then happen to be withdrawn, then they would hear a mouse. If they, if they weren't withdrawn, they wouldn't hear the mouse. <laughs> they hear the mouse because um, the consolation and sentiments of devotion which they've had by God's grace until then were withdrawn. And if some little temptation attacks them, alas, they say, what is it? They begin to fear and to be troubled. Everything seems hard to them if they are not always in the heart of their heavenly Father, if he does not give them consolations and speak sweetly to them. They simply cannot live in peace and contentment unless they receive endless consolations and no pain. Oh, does anybody relate to this? 
endless consolations and no pain. I remember in my early days of conversion, nothing could touch me. Nothing could disturb me. My feet didn't touch the ground for two years. I was on cloud 10. You couldn't, you uh, hold a gun to me. I'm ready. Nothing. But then, then as time went by, I began to experience trials. I heard a lot of mice, a lot of pain. Uh, Where did God go? What happened to the consolations I had at first? And God was just as near as he always was, but he needed to remove the consolations so that I could begin to grow, grow in faith and not float on feelings. Oh, how miserable my my condition is, those who begin to experience pain. Oh, how miserable my condition is. I am in the Lord's service where I thought I would live in peace, and yet all different sorts of temptations have come and only agitate me. My passions so annoy me that I could not have so much as an hour of real peace, end quote. And one could answer them, St. Francis says, my dear friends, Do you really think that one never encounters temptations in solitude and retreat? Oh, how greatly mistaken you are. Our divine master was not attacked by the enemy while he lived among the Pharisees and publicans, but only when he retired to the desert. There is no place where temptation does not have access. Yes, even in heaven. Oh, my. Listen to this, St. Francis says, even in heaven, where it was born in the heart of Lucifer and his angels, and at the same moment cast them forth into damnation and perdition. The enemy brought it to Eden, and with it made our first parents forfeit original justice with which God had gifted them. Temptation entered the very ranks of the apostles themselves. Why then are you astonished if it attacks you? That's a pretty good question. Why? If it attacked, if if it, it tempted, if it attacked the greatest, most intelligent, most beautiful being God ever created, named Lucifer, whose name was changed to Satan, which is Lucifer's Hebrew name, by the way. Why shouldn't it attack us? Attack the heroes of the faith, the disciples. Why shouldn't it attack us? And Father Ripperger says, not a devil attacks us without God's permission. Nothing attacks us without God's permission. And if God has allowed it, it's because he works it together for good. And he has purposed it for our growth and salvation. There's the music for our break, beloved. We'll take your calls, your texts, and your emails when we come back. Don't go away. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle, and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth 
if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. The Catholic Current on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Not only women being hurt by abortion, but men being hurt by abortion. If you've got a Y chromosome, you just have to shut up and pay for the abortion. Last time I checked, and I'm no biologist, but it takes two to tango. Tune in weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross and iCatholic Radio for The Catholic Current, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Thank you for your continued support, and may God bless you and your family. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you, and again, you may call in. Our lines are wide open and will be for the next half hour. Toll-free, 1-877-511-5483. You may text at that number as well, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We're going to go to Carolyn, who sent an email. She's in Ludington, Michigan, and Carol sa Carolyn says, as I understand it, we choose hell because of our state in life that we died in. In other words, if I look at the love of God in heaven, does it reflect my state or am I full of hate and hate of God? Is that correct? It's a little complicated how this question is worded. I think, Carolyn, what you're saying is it, it's true that we are the ones who choose our permanent state. If we die in a state of grace, then we are on our way to heaven. Uh, most of us through purgatory, but on our way to heaven. If we die out of a state of grace, then we are, um, uh, if we're not on our way to heaven, we're on our way to hell, and we've chosen that. Um, and you say, if I look at the love of God in heaven, does it reflect my state? I don't, I can't say that because emotions are deceiving. We could be living in mortal sin. Let's say two people who are not in a proper marriage being intimate uh, or living together outside of a proper marriage between a man and a woman. And, um, and they could be looking at the love of God in heaven, but be on their way to hell because that's what they've chosen. You see, God does not violate our free will. And you say, if I'm full of hate and hate God, will I be in hell? Um, well, that that's a good uh, guess, because if we're full of hate and we hate God, we're probably not going to be in a state of grace. Um, but 
the thing is that either state, um, if we think we love God, we could be deceived. And in any case, uh, because Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So you say we love God and he understands the state we're living in. If it's in mortal sin, well, he does understand it, but you won't be in heaven um, unless you repent. And again, if you're full of hate and hate God, um, I want to say something. Hate, um, people say hate is the opposite of love. I don't think it is. I think sin is the opposite of love. Hate is a very strong emotion, and you have to feel very strongly about someone in order to hate them. There's a huge attachment there. So I think it's a, hate is a really distorted love. This is not, uh, I haven't read this anywhere. This is not uh, philosophy 101, so don't take my word for it. But I, I really think that a deep hate um, is, uh, or, or can be, distorted love. If, if you hate someone for something really evil they've done, that, that's true. That's true. Uh, to hate God is... is it, it, that's an awkward thing, but um, you can repent of that. You can repent of that. If you hate the God who loved you and gave himself for you on that cross, um, there's something deep down you need to be healed of. So, um, again, the, the bottom line is if we die in a state of grace, which is um, that we are free of mortal sin, then uh, then we're on our way to heaven. If we die in mortal sin, which means we are out of God's grace, then we are on our way to hell, and there's no in-between. Um, and I wouldn't use our emotions as the barometer for that at all. I would use our objective state of life, not the way we feel, but the way we live. Um, we have a text from Justine who writes, At our parish and others... At our parish and at others during Lent, they remove the holy water from the fonts and replace it with either sand or stones. What is this supposed to mean, and is it appropriate? Are you able to give some historical background for it? No, Justine, because there's no historical background for it. Um, I'm, I'm guessing it's supposed to symbolize the desert in which Jesus spent 40 days, but there's no historical background for it, and it's actually wrong. It's inappropriate. Um, it's actually against church tradition. I'm going to read a very wonderful answer from Catholic Answers on their Catholic.com website. Um, and they say, emptying or covering holy water font. Emptying, not just putting sand in them, but emptying them of holy water during Lent is a modern innovation not found in the church's directives. Water is always kept in the holy water fonts until after Mass on Holy Thursday when they are emptied. That's it. After Holy, on Holy Thursday, the Triduum, the tri, Tridium, the three days prior to Easter Sunday, on Holy Thursday, when they are emptied of holy water and later refilled with the water blessed at the Easter Vigil. All right. Lent is a time when we need the spiritual benefits of holy water. Holy water is a protection from evil, a reminder of our baptism, and of our commitment to live a Christ-centered life. Empty holy water fonts during Lent only deprive the faithful of spiritual benefits 
that are theirs by right. So, beloved, if you have a parish with either an empty holy water font or with dirt or sand in it or anything else in it, stones or anything else, tell your pastor. Print this out from Catholic.com and say, can we restore holy water, please? Um, Catholic Answers always have has um, uh, references to what they say, and the general, the germ, general instruction of the Roman Missal requires a crucifix to be present during the celebration of Mass. Um, hold on now, um, because some people cover that also. Uh, let me just read that last last part here. Um, uh, it may be possible to get away with replacing the main sanctuary crucifix with a cross if there's another crucifix present, at least during the Mass, um, uh, such as if an altar server or crucifer bears a crucifix into the sanctuary during the entrance. The covering of crosses is permitted during the last two weeks of Lent. That's it. The last two weeks of Lent. The rubrics for the fifth Sunday of Lent state this. In the Diocese of the United States of America, crosses in the church may be covered from the conclusion of the Mass for Saturday of the fourth week of Lent until the end of the celebration of the Lord's Passion on Good Friday. Images in the church may be covered from the conclusion of the Mass for Saturday of the fourth week of Lent until the beginning of the Easter Vigil. So the conclusion of Mass... Um, um, images, the conclusion of the Mass for Saturday of the fourth week of Lent. And then again, Sunday or the Saturday Vigil begins the fifth week of Lent. Um, and then we can have everything covered. All right. Um, let me just see the next question. Our lines are open if you wish to call in. Be happy to take your calls at any time. We have a text from Kathy. Uh, she says, a priest told us that being in a state of grace requires us to make an act of perfect contrition. What is an act of perfect contrition? How do I make one now? That is in a dire situation. In other words, if we have sin on us, um, when we go to confession, you, most parishes have confession on Saturdays, which is, uh, in my mind, an awful disservice and a, a travesty. Uh, when I see signs up on parishes or in bulletins uh, for for confessions 45 minutes on a Saturday or even an hour or an hour and a half on a Saturday, I, I grieve. I absolutely grieve. And otherwise, by appointment, no, 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 no. I confession should be at least 15 minutes, if not longer, before every single Mass. The faithful should be able to confess their sins on a daily basis. If they, especially if they have mortal sin, they should not have to call a priest. They should be able to go anonymously to a priest to Mass. So, who is in the confessional, not waiting outside for someone to go in the confessional so the priest sees who it is. Um, the church has set up a very wonderful um, path for us sinners to be able to confess our sins and have absolution. And so it, it shouldn't happen the way it's happening. In the Latin ma uh, Mass, most 
there is confession in most parishes in a Latin Mass per ch- church or a very holy, reverent Novus Ordo. There are confessions before every Mass, as as should be the case. Now, I'm not saying it's church law. I'd have to look that up. But um, it, I, I, when I first became Catholic and I, and I understood what confession was and I saw the signs outside on engraved um, plaques on the wall of a church confession on Saturdays from 4 to 4.50 or something like that. I, I, my face turned red. I was embarrassed. I said, aren't you ashamed to announce that? My goodness. Um, it's awful. So uh, when we sin, uh, we go to confession. If we sin mortally, here's the case of a perfect contrition. If we sin, we go to confession. We're not out of a state of grace in venial sin. We confess our sins to God. We should not go to sleep at night without confessing our sins to God. If they're venial, we should always confess them. Does that mean we don't go to confession uh, once a week or once a month to confess those sins which we've done, even if we've confessed them to God? We should confess them to a priest because then we have the grace of his absolution and the grace of penance, which he does not give us in order to be forgiven, but because we are forgiven. And we get, it's it's a way to grow in holiness. But if we have mortal sin on our souls, we must go to a priest in order to be back in a state of grace in the church. If we have mortal sin and we die in that state, we will not see heaven and we will see hell. And so... If we have mortal sin in our souls and we cannot get to to confession, the only hope for us in that case, Kathy, is a perfect act of contrition, um, which very few people make. Um, and I'll give you the conditions for that. The perfect act of contrition says this, and it's the normal act of contrition, but it's not just the words, the heart, there are conditions that go with it. The normal act of contrition in the older form is, Oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee, and I detest all my sins because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell, but most of all because they offend thee, my God, who art all good and deserving of all my love. I firmly resolve, with the help of thy grace, to confess my sins to do penance, and to amend my life. Amen. That is a perfect act of contrition. However, the reason it's it's perfect is because uh, it incorporates all the elements of the act of perfect contrition. Um, and we should all memorize this. And there are five qualities. Uh, I'm reading from an older catechism now. Um, there are five qualities or elements that must be in the act of perfect contrition. Whether they are in the form of the contrition or not, that's not the point, but they have to be present. And so if we can memorize the wording, uh, then we are have incorporated these five elements. And um, in an act of perfect contrition... Um, Okay, it is an act of perfect contrition 
not a perfect act of contrition. There's a difference here. An act of perfect contrition includes interior, supernatural, universal, supreme, and intense. And I'll get back to that when we come back from the break. Beloved, you're welcome to call in. We have a good 10 minutes. Our lines are wide open, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483. We'll be right back. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails. And stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. Hi, this is Jim Wright, President of the Station of the Cross. Our 2020 Spring Appeal is officially underway. Please consider a sacrificial donation to help us spread the gospel. The theme of our appeal is Changing Lives in 2020. In the coming weeks, you may receive a mailing that shows the great gifts you can receive as a Spring Appeal donor. You can also view the gifts by visiting thestationofthecross.com. Your generosity will help us develop our programming, expand our outreach efforts, and continue to grow. To support our mission, please call 1-877-711-8500, 1-877-711-8500, or go to thestationofthecross.com. Use the donation page from your iCatholic Radio mobile app, or use a return envelope from one of our mailings. Your support will change lives in your community and beyond. Thank you, and may God bless you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, uh, to Heart to Heart. Oh, I did it again. I did it yesterday. I'm still saying Heart to Heart. It's Mother Miriam Live, the same Mother Miriam. And we went right from Heart to Heart to Mother Miriam Live because we were able to live stream uh, the programs through Station of the Cross and LifeSite News and Facebook and all of that. So um, God bless you. And, and my heart, I tell you, um, the Station of the Cross and LifeSite News, you couldn't get two better um, uh, Catholic apostolates if you tried. You just couldn't. That's my heart. Not just because I happen to be with them, but but I'm with them because of that. How's that? Okay. We had a text from Kathy, um, and um, she said, A priest told us that being in a state of grace requires us to make an act of perfect contrition. And what is it? Well, 
uh, I just read the act of perfect contrition, but it has the elements. It's not just saying the words. You really need to mean that. And it's so important that um, uh, to make an act of perfect contrition and not a perfect act of contrition. So it's not to say it perfectly, but it's interiorly, truly to make that act of contrition. And that takes an enormous amount of grace and deep godly, godly sorrow uh, for your sin. Again, if it's mortal, uh, that's when a perfect act of contrition is required to get to heaven if you are in mortal sin and cannot get to confession. You know what? I think it's so important. We don't have time today, Kathy, but I think this is so important. And I think we've gone so light on confession uh, and sin that I'm really going to, uh, I think, make it the subject of uh, tomorrow morning's program. I think it's important to do that. So I'm going to speak about the five elements of perfect contrition tomorrow morning on our program live. Uh, we just won't have time today. So we'll go to our next te text from Walt. Uh, Walt says in Matthew's Gospel, it says that Jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert. Since Jesus was obviously without sin, why did he fast? God bless you. Um, Walt, he fasted for the same reason he was baptized, uh, uh, for the same reason he died on the cross. He had no sin, but he did everything for our sin. He did everything. He who no, knew no sin became sin for us. And the, the Greek in that is not that he became sin, but he became a sin offering for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, says St. Paul to the Corinthians. Um, he became our sin offering. So while we sinned against God in the garden, and again the Israelite sins and our sins uh, in the desert, and we wandered for 40 years, he was sent into the desert by God, the Holy Spirit, to fast for 40 days because he was truly God and truly man. He was 100% God and 100% man, and he... Uh, the book of Hebrews says, was tempted in all points as we yet without sin. So in his full humanity, he did not use his divinity when the, the uh, Satan came and said, we, what are you starving for? There's stones. Make, in, make them into bread. What's your problem? And make them into a steak if you want. No. And he wouldn't. Was he tempted? Yeah, true. Because he was, with a, he was a human and he needed food like we do. Um, but he would not exercise his divinity. Uh, he would live out his full humanity and know what it was to be hungry, to be tired, to be tempted. He would know everything as we know. And he died on the cross fully man, um, fully, fully man and fully God. He was always the God man. He never stopped being that. But he lived his humanity in full, in full and so for us, he fasted for 40 days in reparation for our sins. He was baptized. That's why John the Baptist said, I, I don't need to baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, yes, I understand that. But let it be done for now to fulfill all righteousness. What was that? It was to fulfill uh, the Jewish law of baptism 
for the repentance of sins. Again, Jesus had no sins, but he did it to fulfill all righteousness, um, that he would keep the law perfectly because we failed in it, and he kept it for us. So um, everything he did, uh, Walt, everything he did, uh, his whole 30 years on uh, St. Um, not saint yet, but uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen said he spent 30 years obeying, three years teaching, and three hours redeeming. Everything he did from from the um, the cradle to the grave, from his incarnation to his death on the cross, every single thing he did, he did without sin, but because he became a sin offering for us, and died in our place. He took upon him the sin that was ours. I hope that helps their Walt. Um, and that's why he fasted for 40 days without sin. We who have sin should, the least we can do is fast for 40 days with him who was innocent when we are not innocent. <clears throat> We have an email from Sophia and Caroline in Canterbury, United Kingdom. My goodness, UK. Ave Maria, Mother Miriam. Well, Ave Maria, Sophia and Caroline. And they say, Happy Sunday. I guess you emailed this on Sunday. It's now uh, uh, Tuesday in, in America. Um, and she's, they say, My friend and I were having a chat over Sunday brunch, and we have a question to ask you for better clarification. Today's gospel was the transfiguration, and we were wondering, where are the abouts of Enoch and Elijah? Very good question. I've previously heard that they will come back as the two witnesses, um, and that one will convert the Jews. Could you please explain more about them? May our Lord and his Immaculate Mother keep you always in their hearts. Sophia and Caroline, God bless you. Yes, they did come. Uh, the two witnesses of the Transfiguration. You know what? Um, I am going to... Uh, I would have to guess at that, dear ones. Um, both Enoch and Elijah, you know it's true, they represent the law and the prophets, but um, no, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the pro prophets. Enoch and Elijah were both assumed. Neither of them died. Enoch walked with God. And Genesis chapter 5, I think it is. And he never saw death. He walked with God, and God took him. He was the first assumption before Our Lady. And Elijah also went up in a chariot. They were both assumed into heaven. They didn't die. So they don't have bodies that decayed. And so um, if they will appear with our Lord at his second coming, um, my, my guess is that they will come from heaven. Uh, uh, they were assumed into heaven and they will come down from heaven uh, as our Lord will. So uh, that's a really poor and minor, I mean, uh, limited answer. Uh, but there's no place else. For, they're, they're certainly not in hell. They're not in limbo. Uh, they walk with God. They are with God. And God will bring them down to heaven, I guess, as he brings uh, others down in the form of apparitions. He brings them down from heaven. That's the only 
uh, uneducated explanation I can give you at the moment. I'll, I'll give it a look and give you a more solid answer tomorrow. God bless you both. Listening in the UK, what a treat that we're together on two different sides of the world. God bless all of you, and we'll, we'll speak with you tomorrow.